Thank you for listening to the Faith Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. Today's sermon for the fifth Sunday after the Epiphany, February 6, 2022, is preached by Pastor Jason Goodham. If you have questions or comments regarding today's message, please call the church office at 612-824-5527 or visit our website at faithlutheran-aflc.org. Good morning again. Special welcome to those of you who are visiting us this morning. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I would at this time invite you to stand as I read the gospel lesson appointed for this Sunday. The sermon text is taken from Luke chapter 5 verses 1 through 11. can be found on page 1597 in your pew Bible if you'd like to follow along. Reading in Jesus' name Luke chapter 5 verses 1 through 11. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and to help them. And they came and filled both the boats, so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon, And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Heavenly Father, these are your words, and your word is truth. We pray that this morning you would sanctify us in the truth, that you would convict us of sin in our lives where that is necessary, and that you would comfort and encourage us with the promises of your gospel. In your name we pray. Amen. may be seated. I have lost track of the amount of different VBSs that I have attended that have featured our famous Fishers of Men passage from this morning's gospel lesson. As I thought about it this week, I think it's probably second only in VBS passages to the armor of God. And and maybe, just maybe, also to David and Goliath. But every VBS loves the Fishers of Men, And like the armor of God, and like David and Goliath, we as American Christians, whether it's in VBS or in a sermon or in a Bible study, tend to miss the mark when it comes to these passages, just like when it comes today to the fishers of men. As it is the case when we misunderstand passages in other parts of Scripture, so it is here. We think Jesus' fishers of men statement is something other than it is. It might be a command, it might be instruction, but we always think that it gives us something to do. It gives us something to improve upon. More often than not, this passage is treated as one of a central core of Bible verses that prescribe a life of personal evangelism. But there are three factors in Luke 5 that should mitigate our enthusiasm for that type of interpretation. And we're going to look at one of them at length this morning. But first, the other two. One, 
please consider that right now, at this moment, you are not the Apostle Peter. Consider that possibility. Second, please also consider the possibility that you are not one of the 12 apostles. Pause. Okay. Now, with that in mind, the overarching reality we're going to examine this morning with Luke 5 is simply this. Luke 5 is not a passage about personal evangelism. It's a passage about discipleship. Now, maybe that's more nuanced than it has to be, but I think that nuance is incredibly important. And so, turning our eyes back to Peter's fishing boat in Luke 5, along with the crowds, let's see what Jesus' words have to say, both to the crowds and then to the the disciples around Peter, but finally to Peter himself. And first, what we discover from Luke 5 is that disciples hear Jesus' word. Now this might seem like an obvious point to make, yet it is a key identifying factor for someone who is a disciple of Jesus Christ. A disciple hears Jesus' word. Someone who isn't interested in hearing the word of God can't be a disciple. We see that first here in Luke on two levels. One, the crowds were swarming Jesus in order to hear him teach. This makes them disciples. They might not ordinarily be considered disciples, but they were. They were following Jesus and they were hearing his word. Second, maybe more closely for our purposes this morning, the fishermen disciples who were in the boat. Now this is a bit more obvious because of who the fishermen ultimately became. The fishermen were in a position to hear Jesus' words as he preached since they were among the crowds and Jesus, in fact, climbed into their boat for the purpose of preaching. They had no other choice but to hear Jesus' words. But then the fishermen continued to hear Jesus' words as they got back into their boats and went out for a fishing cruise. And it's at this point where we see a transition into the next truth about discipleship. First, disciples hear Jesus' word. But second, disciples put Jesus' words into practice. This, again, might seem far too obvious to find its way into a sermon outline, but once again, I think it's worth looking at. Two separate interactions with Jesus illustrate what we ought to be meditating on here in Luke 5. First, Jesus, an itinerant rabbi, albeit with some amount of fame and following, asks these men to put back out to sea when they had already come back to shore after an unsuccessful day of fishing. But then, once they're out to sea, Jesus asks them to begin fishing again. Simon Peter, speaking for the group, expresses his skepticism but still obliges Jesus, probably out of deference and respect for who Jesus is and who he's known to be in the surrounding countryside, but also not to mention that we can conclude the Spirit is working here on Peter because Jesus is the divine Son of God. Something's going on. 
From our perspective, studying this passage, we would do well to recognize how many people would not be willing to take the step that Peter and his other fishermen take. Jesus tells the rich young ruler, go, sell all your possessions and you will have treasure in heaven. The rich young ruler says, thanks, but no thanks. I'll pass. Peter hears and he listens. He puts Jesus' words into practice. Now today, there is a category of new Christian that grows increasingly unwilling to put the word of God into practice. This type of new believer, this type of Christian, is always chasing experience. They're always tracing down the next marketing angle. They're always looking for the next big thing. But the drudgery, the ordinariness, the directness of hearing God's word, of wrestling with it, and then of putting it into practice is out of bounds for them. We see this in catechesis as well. So many people, upon hearing and learning the basic truths communicated in the catechism, which in and of itself is a summary of the basic truths of Scripture, once they hear it, they're ready to move on and graduate to something more interesting, something more important. But this is not the behavior that befits a disciple. Wrestling with the Word of God is necessary because in the end, it's the Word of God that identifies our shortcomings and our inadequacies and our failures. And it is that reality that leads us to the next truth about discipleship. And this truth is quite unexpected for the church of today. Disciples hear Jesus' words. Disciples put Jesus' words into practice. But then, and most importantly, disciples receive absolution. So much of modern American Christianity focuses on producing forward progress. What this ends up doing is it turns Christianity into a system of behavior modification intended to produce pious moral people. And don't get me wrong, Christians should in fact be pious, moral people. But that step belongs under the disciples putting Jesus' words into practice, wrestling with God's word, listening to it. And every time we try to put God's word into practice, every time we commit ourselves to following Jesus as his disciples, what we'll inevitably encounter is our failure to do so. We, just like Peter and the other fishermen on that boat in the Sea of Galilee, run into Jesus' holiness. And in doing so, we end up seeing our own unholiness. This is exactly what happens to Peter. You see, Peter, as the prototypical loudmouth in Scripture, thinks that he knows it all. We see that in Peter's behavior time and time and time again with him. He thinks he's got things figured out. 
He is the, like, like the, the prototype of a leader. You can even talk yourself into believing that Peter here in Luke 5 thinks he's doing Jesus a favor by listening to his instructions. All right, Lord, you want us to go fishing? You saw we didn't catch anything? I'll give you a chance, Lord. See how good I am? See how nice I am? I'll listen. And what follows is that Jesus blows away Peter's expectations. Peter's response as a disciple is incredibly telling. When the nets are thrown overboard and they start to haul in the catch of fish and when the nets start to snap and the boats start to sink under the weight of the fish, Peter looks at Jesus and he falls to his knees and confesses his sins. Peter has literally come face to face with the holiness of God. And all he can see is that he's a sinner. But Jesus' response to Peter's confession is even more stunning. Peter, this loudmouth, this brash young man, Jesus forgives him. Jesus doesn't shame him, doesn't put Peter in his place. He doesn't stoop down and ask him, you understand now, Peter? Jesus forgives Peter. I've mentioned this several times before, but it always bears repeating. Whenever God, whenever Jesus Christ, or whenever a messenger sent from God, God utters the words, do not be afraid, in response to someone else's terror and fear at God's presence, an absolution has taken place. Sins have been forgiven. It happens here in Luke 5. It happened when Jeremy read Isaiah 6 this morning. When we cry out in fear at God's holiness, what God does for us is he forgives our sins. He allows us to be in his presence. And that's exactly what happens here. Jesus, in the holiness of his perfection, has marked Peter as a sinner. And Peter recognizes that, confesses his sins, and cries out for mercy. But the mercy Peter desires is for God to get away from him. The mercy Peter desires is to be free from God's torment. Because Peter knows he deserves to be crushed. He deserves to be wiped out under God's thumb. But the mercy that God gives, the mercy that Jesus offers, is mercy that doesn't remove you from his presence. It's mercy that forgives sins. And this exact exchange is what happens to you every Sunday morning in the worship service. You show up with nothing to offer God but sin and failure. You want to show up with your good works? Fine, show up with your good works. You'll find out what God says about your good works. They're not good enough. It's not that they're just not quite good enough. They're not good enough even remotely. 
Isaiah, in another part of his prophecy, says, the best of what we have to offer God is rubbish. Is on par with a dirty diaper. You walk into this building with your good works and you meet God in his holiness. He has promised that wherever two or three are gathered, there he is in the midst of them. God is here right now. And God forgives you. He pardons your sins. And he does so because of Jesus Christ. You have been marked as a disciple of Jesus Christ, not because of your commitment, not because of your sincerity, not because of your well-intentioned efforts. And all those are great. You have been marked as a disciple of Jesus Christ because you have been forgiven. You have been washed in Jesus' blood. So where does that leave us as disciples. I haven't even talked about the fishers of men verse yet. Does this mean that you, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, under the truths and realities we've just identified and described, are now called to be an evangelist and convert as many souls as possible? Or does this mean that you're off the hook as you are not Peter, and you are not an apostle, and these are specifically and contextually commandments given to Peter and the apostles during their ministry. I would suggest that the answer to both of these questions, as fishers of men, are yes and no. As a disciple, you are called to catch disciples, not necessarily as an evangelist, unless you've been gifted and called to do so, but rather as a fish who has already been captured by the gospel. In this case, then, Jesus' promise that from now on you will be catching men is not so much a command, but rather it is an altering of the vocations you already have. You, as a disciple, have heard the word of God. You have wrestled with it. You put it into practice in your lives. I've watched it happen over the course of the last ten and a half years. And you, as a disciple, have been absolved. Your sins have been forgiven. They have been forgiven today. They will be forgiven here again at the altar. And they will be forgiven continually into eternity because of Jesus Christ. And what I, as your pastor, and in accord with the word of God, tell you to do in response to that reality, always, is to go out and love your neighbor. I say it nearly weekly. And in loving your neighbor, you will indeed catch men. You will indeed, as a Christian, Draw others to Christ. As a disciple of Jesus Christ, God orients your love for others to have a missionary effect on their lives. So that when you go out, when you walk outside the walls of this building every Sunday, 
you are about the business of catching men. Because the business of catching men belongs to God. And God works through you to love others. And so, disciples of Christ, go. Be forgiven. And love your neighbor. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.